0: Hello and welcome back to the Bunker Daily. I'm Naomi Smith. If you're not already following us on Twitter, please do at Bunker underscore pod. And if you want to be in the audience for our live show next Thursday, the 9th of July, then sign up to back us on Patreon. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast to sign up. All support is very gratefully received in these tricky times. Now, while pubs reopened in parts of the country this weekend, Sorry, Leicester listeners, theatres, music venues, and clubs are still not deemed safe enough spaces for the potentially infected to meet up in. Our cultural sector is taking more than a battering, with revenue losses expected to be upwards of 74 billion and job losses reaching 400,000 across music, theatre, and art. And during lockdown, the evening activity I've probably missed most, other than heading to the pub after work with mates, has been going to see some amazing stand-up. So I've invited one of my favourite comedians and fellow podcaster to join us on the show today and talk about how live performance is adapting. Carl Donnelly is an Edinburgh Comedy Award-nominated stand-up, a brand new dad, and one half of the hilarious Two Vegan Idiots podcast that he hosts with Julian Dean. Carl, welcome. How are you?
1: Yeah. I'm good thanks uh yeah I mean the new dad ones are probably the most pressing at the minute (laughs) (laughs) what's it been
0: like becoming a parent for the first time during a pandemic
1: well weirdly I think you know there's I've sort of seen the benefits of the fact that you know I've not it's basically forced me to take so much time off that you know that I I probably I would have probably been a bit more itchy about getting back to gigging you know I I had I had gigs in my diary for pretty much all around the actual due date and mm. you know probably was going to let myself have two weeks off and what's actually happened is I was available for two months before the due date and you know it's been three yeah. and a half weeks since she was born and I've just been around all the time.
0: And you don't have to deal with like the endless you know people wanting to come and see the baby either because totally. like, literally they can't.
1: Yeah yeah yeah. It's um, it's been uh, yeah and you know in terms of trying to find a silver line into the lockdown that's been that's, the main yeah. thing that we've actually just had loads of time.
0: Can I can I ask a really personal question? Was yeah. the baby born in a hospital? Yes. And what was what the hell was that like? Did you have to put a mask on the baby when it came out? I mean no. I just can't imagine how terrifying. I mean we we were lucky
1: and it, it was um Queen Charlotte's Hospital in yeah. West London where um it's it's next to Hammersmith and Fulham Hospital mm-hmm. I think it is and Hammersmith and Fulham is a proper hospital. Queen Charlotte's is essentially a maternity hospital so it was all it was almost like we had a separate hospital where. Wow, okay. So there were certain rules. Like initially, when Hannah went in to be monitored, they want to check. They, yeah, you know, they want to check how dilated she was. I wasn't allowed to go in for that bit. Um, I had to wait outside, right. and then. But once we went into the actual room that Proper we had,
0: thing you were, yeah, then then,
1: in. I, then I was yeah. in there for the whole day. But then she had to stay in for two nights, and I wasn't allowed to oh. even visit for that period. So that's the sort of the downside to the COVID rules.
0: Oh well, anyway, huge congratulations from all Thank of us. You. Okay, so like let, let's kick off with a question about like, you, you know, you talked about how you had all these gigs lined up, but how well have other jobs held up for comedians during lockdown? Like have the big corporates like swooped in uh, with like online gigs to cheer up all their staff at home that are really bored? Like, has that been able to replace lost revenue from live work?
1: No, not at all. I mean, I know a couple of people that have done a couple of online corporates. But in terms of the number and the financial, you know, um, sort of how much you get paid for them, there's definitely a massive drop off. And just, yeah, I think on the whole, most 99, I'm trying to think of a a comedian I can think of or I know that would still be earning anything near what they were earning before. And it's I can't think of one. I think everyone has taken an absolute Shelakin,
0: oh God, and like have you done any zoom kind of gigs?
1: yeah, I've done a handful.
0: what's the worst thing about it?
1: uh, the worst thing about them uh, they've got better, but the, initially when people were still working out the tech and the way to run them was they muted the whole audience obviously because they were like. You know, they don't want people popping up on the screen who are just watching because they're suddenly (laughs) chatting to their flatmate. But um, so what happened was you were just talking into the void. You know, it was total silence. You had no idea if you were getting any reaction. And uh, and then what they started learning was if you actually unmute a small you know, group of people that have probably volunteered to be like a front row. Yeah. And what you do is just suddenly start feeling some feedback.
0: Yeah. And
1: it gives you an, an essence of performance. But like, it's still, it's a, it's a massive gulf to real gigs.
0: Has anything really cringe happened?
1: Um, I'm trying to think. Not really. I've, I've seen a few, like them early ones when they hadn't worked out the tech. Like, yeah. there's a thing you have to do on Zoom, which is spotlight, which is basically where you set the camera on one person. So... The, it won't be jumping around and hmm. I, I did a couple of <laughs> ones in the early days where they hadn't spotlit the talk the speak the comedian who was talking and basically somebody in the audience opened a bag of crisps and suddenly <laughs> suddenly that everyone was just watching them open their crisps and the comedian you could just hear in the background and it was you know there' some awkward bits like that
0: yeah. And what about anything that has surprised you and made you think, like, "Oh my god, fuck schlepping up the A one every week"? It's much easier doing this at home in my pants.
1: Well, podcasting. I think you know, yeah. I, me and Julian have been doing our podcast for eighteen months, and you know, we have never thought about doing one remotely in mm. a different room. And I Ditto, think,
0: mate, Ditto. <laughs> yeah.
1: And actually, it's you know, I'm not. It's, I still think there's a slight loss of connection. You know, you, the fact I think I always think it's funnier. Having a conversation in the same room, but mm. you know, we've we've. Uh, I, I don't think it's as big a drop off as I thought, yeah. and also being able to get guests that we normally wouldn't because they True. live in a different city,
0: because and they're all got fuck all to do. All yeah, that's, that, that's what they're around. <laughs> I mean, that, right? that does help. <laughs> they can't well. actually say no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, could the crisis like lead to some kind of innovation in how we deliver live performance? Do you think, or is everyone just like now get us back on that traditional circuit? Uh,
1: I, I think there's going to be some. A lot of new things, and a lot of comedians have started doing stuff on Twitch that they probably wouldn't have thought of doing before, and you know, just being a bit more active on mm. different levels of output. And I, I actually think a lot of comedians are going to probably up their output in, online just because they have to. Because I, I yeah. do think, you know, as much as it's, even when gigs come back, I, d- I reckon there's going to be a contraction of the comedy circuit for a, probably a couple of years at least. You know, just mm. some some of the smaller clubs I don't think will survive it.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, some of the
1: major clubs will probably not be running as many shows just while yeah. people are getting back on their feet financially. So I think everyone's aware that, you know, we're going to have to at least do yeah, some do other some things.
0: Other yeah. I mean, look, we, we started the show by talking about the fact that pubs have reopened and a lot of comedy du- comedy nights, admittedly smaller ones, do happen in pubs. So does this latest lockdown lifting mean comedy has a chance of get, you know, getting back up and running in some sense in a way that other live performance just can't?
1: uh to a certain degree like i've got friends in australia and they've their lockdowns lifted to and certain gigs have started back up but a friend was saying that he did one and because of the social distancing measures he basically just was on stage while 20 people sat far apart from each other eating and, and you've got to eat food like they're <laughs> all there, so you've got all the food so he said he was performing to 20 people sitting in a weird sort of layout all eating chicken schnitzels so oh,
0: it's,
1: it's just he said it was just a bizarre it wasn't a fun gig
0: no no um and like when we do eventually get back to normal do you worry that comedians will only have like covid material like is it going to become <laughs> yeah. the new brexit where we're all just really fucking bored of talking about it
1: i think to a certain degree i think there's going to be this weird there's going to be some people that only talk about it and that'll be boring there'll be the mad people that don't even mention it i think that'll be the <laughs> that'll be even funnier but then i think most people will give it a nod and hopefully move on cuz i just think yeah, I think we'll be sick to death of it by the time we get yeah. out of lockdown.
0: I mean, you talked about travel, and you know, a lot of what we talk about on on the bunker and our, our other podcasts is about you know Britain's place in the world and internationalism, and like British influence globally is often based on people's experiences of us, and often that's you know cultural cultural experiences. It might be, you know, them coming to study in this country or, you know, the Brits that they meet living in their country. You've gigged all over the world, like Melbourne to Montreal. Yeah. How well do jokes actually travel? Like, you know, to what extent can they be really funny and universal? Or is it always like the expat Brits laughing hardest in the audience because they kind of get your cultural reference more?
1: I don't I don't know if it's reference. I mean references tend to travel worse than sort of um you know, stories and things. I'm quite lucky in that my stand up tends to not be too referency to like specific things and you know, it's not too joke heavy. Uh it sort of tends to be like uh, yeah, I mean <laughs> what, I'm telling, what I'm saying is mine's really bad. But um no, I mean I, I tend to have stories with jokes in them rather than yeah, like, rather than a gag after, after gag pet after pet gag, life. yeah. And they yeah. so that tends to travel a bit better just because you know, there's not a massive barrier to get over. I don't need to change loads of words for like, you know. There's a lot of comics. You, you sometimes gig here with like an American comic, and they'll be like, <laughs> hey, "Why are you guys call Twinkies here?" And it's like, "What? Well, yeah. we, we don't have them." You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's that thing of sometimes. It, I think I'm. I've always mm. been quite hesitant to have anything that's too like yeah. English. You know what I mean? I'm not. I'm not on stage <laughs> talking about. Being,
0: and I guess you know, COVID is universal, right? Pain. So anyone <laughs> so, referencing that is going to get a laugh wherever they go.
1: Well, yeah, but I mean, actually, at the minute, it looks like there's. Suddenly, I've just heard some like some rumblings of, about the international festivals next year. Things like Perth in mm-hmm. Australia is like that's the uh, one of the early uh, festivals mm-hmm. and stuff. And then, I think I don't think they're going to have any internationals next year. So I think the next couple of years, I'd say 2021, there's not going to be much international comedy going on.
0: Well, I first saw you at VegFest years and years ago. And oh, wow, for listeners yeah. who aren't familiar, it's like this like vegan exhibition conference. It sounds
1: day. like the worst festival. I, I the don't. World.
0: I don't. Like, so a lot of people call it <laughs> VegFest behind the back. Anyway, um, given vegans are often slated for being humorless bastards, how important do you think it is to bust that myth?
1: I, th- I think it's important. You know, I definitely think um, when I first started talking about it on stage, I was very wary to do it in a way of being like i'm well aware of the sort of stereotypes and how stupid yeah. they are. you know because I, I sort of also i think i find the i find it funny sometimes being vegan and you know <laughs> some of the things we have to go through you know to get you know it, it's much easier now but i went through that period five or six years ago where it was you know i was in town sometimes where there physically was not anything for me to eat other than like, yeah, for my dinner yeah. before a gig i'd be in a banana and a in, you know a sort of a, some sort of flapjack that I've checked every <laughs> every word on the ingredients to find out if it's got anything so like it used to be funny the hassle and talking about yeah. that from a way but you know if doing stand-up to non-vegans which is most of my audiences you know I'm always wary that I'm not sounding like I'm judging them I'm more just explaining yeah. what it's like to be one
0: yeah rather than any proselytizing I know when people ask me like what what do you miss I used to say that literally the only thing I miss is convenience yeah and, like when you're on that last train back from Manchester Piccadilly you know after a work thing and getting back to London and like once again your dinner has to be like dry roasted yeah. peanuts or a packet of ready-sorted <laughs> crisps and you're like please anything heat protein.
1: wave Doritos which are <laughs> the only Doritos you can eat even though they are probably the best one but
0: yeah, true, true, true. Um, okay, so uh, let, let's talk a little bit about the Two Vegan Idiots podcast that you do with Julie and Dean. I mean, you, you you sort of said already that, you know, paternity leave combined with COVID means that, you know, you've been able to just dedicate a bit more time to it. Um, do, do, I mean, do you see it as potentially becoming something that takes up more of your your time and and if so like it's not necessarily like directly comedy is it it's often some of the conversations are quite serious
1: yeah it can be it's very guest dependent i think you know it's as is as are most things but like if there are times when it's just us giggling like idiots with you know with a mate or something, but sometimes yeah, we can get into slightly more serious conversations. Yeah, depending on what what comes up, because we don't plan anything. I mean, well. Julian
0: tries not to. Oh, let's face it. I'm... I mean, at, at times he, he I, I adore the show. i as a but his humour can be, I think, only described as outrageous. <laughs> yeah. And at times, definitely pushes the boundaries of what some would say is socially acceptable. Yeah. Do you ever have a moment where you just think, "Oh shit, he has gone too far this just,
1: time"? About five times an episode. I <laughs> but I, I, I sometimes like, I've been asked in the past where I've done like interviews for like in the run-up to the Edinburgh Fringe, you know, you do these random interviews with like websites and publications. And often like they'll ask about, the podcast and they'll say what is what's it about and I, I always describe it as me trying to have a me trying to genuinely interview somebody while Julian ruins it and tries to get it's us cancelled <laughs> well look
0: it, it, it happens to everybody because I know for a fact that our producer regularly has to censor me and Ian Dunn on our shows <laughs> so uh, yeah you're in good company um, but of course not everyone in your sector is well established enough yet to be able to get corporate bookings or launch a successful podcast so um, let's let's just talk about their plight for a little bit I mean According to the Creative Industries Fed, uh, theatres are facing 60% revenue losses this year, more than a quarter of jobs being lost. Um, And yet before, you know, the vid-19 struck us, the British cultural sector was growing at five times the rate of the rest of the country. But this week, Johnson's cash injection has gone into, you know, house building and construction rather than supporting the arts. Do you have a view on why that is?
1: Yeah, but I think it's probably, and this is probably going to sound more, um, like uh, tribal than it, it it's meant, but I think you know mm. it's historically conservative governments tend to be slightly less generous to the arts, don't they? Than than a left wing government, you know, it's sort of mm. it's traditionally conservatives tend to see uh, art and the arts as sort of a left wing uh, folly, don't they? You know what I mean? So I I, yeah. just, I just think it's that I think you know if you, if you can't see like bricks and mortar being built, then why would you put money into it? And it's like they don't see the fact that you know, I think they often f- they people forget that the arts and entertainment and all that isn't just f- middle class people. You know what I mean? That every no. every theatre and every comedy club and all that has so many different people working f- in it it's not just a bunch of mm. like what they'd think of like bloody left-wing comedians banging on about Nigel yeah. Farage <laughs> that's what that's what people <laughs> think comedians are and actually there are thousands yeah. and thousands of comedians working in the country in comedy clubs that employ thousands of people and theatres that employ exactly. thousands of people and you know there's so much going on that I th- I think the problem currently is that politically and socially there is a a, a slightly wrong view of the, of, of the arts and entertainment as just being this bloody left-wing, middle-class bubble. So they're not really getting the support they, they need. So they
0: need. And, you know, there's been an argument, particularly around the furloughing scheme that, and this is an argument that's come from the right more than anything, of course, but that... um A lot of that government money has been used to prop up businesses that were going to fail anyway. Yeah. Um, And that really, you know, it wasn't to help them get through COVID. But if those figures from the Creative Industries Fed are to be believed that like the cultural sector was outpacing the rest of the economy um, at at five times the rate, then clearly that's not true, you know, and the arts are are buoyant in the good times and, and can be. So, what needs to happen in the short term to help venues and acts out while we wait for it? to be safer for them to reopen I mean you said that 2021 might even be a write-off what, what needs to happen
1: well I think they just need the support that other industries would normally get you know it's look how quick the uh, government is to bail out banks that are you know repeatedly fail essentially like, mm. they, they tend not to allow them to fail and they talk about the effect on the economy if you let a bank fail but again like you say a massive industry like arts and entertainment like that you know it, it, it ultimately you've got to view that as too big to fail as well so I just think they need to you know just
0: dig deep and help you out
1: yeah just stop being so uh judgy of an industry and just see it fine even if they just want to take out any political views and just see it purely financially it's a massive massive chunk of the country's economy so just give it give it the support it needs you know pump loads of grants and um you know sort of bounce back loans and all these things for sort of businesses that will help them just ride out the next year
0: yeah, yeah, and not just London, right? It's got to be regional theatres up and down the country. I'm, I'm sure your career probably didn't necessarily take off in London. It was because of the ability to go elsewhere.
1: You no, know, you, you have to travel. The you have to travel all around the country to get it done. And regional theatres, again, that flies in the face of the thought of like of comedy yeah. as some sort of left wing bubble. You know, most comedians when they tour, mm. they'll do one London show, and the rest of the rest of their tour dates. Look at them; they're literally every part of the country um you know in every little every little town has a lovely art center that you know is a is a is, a, is an yeah, important part of that area and, yeah. so i think you know people need to see yeah that the, the benefits outweigh the fact that they might not like that some of the comedians on the Mash report are left wing or something you know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> they need to get over themselves <laughs>
0: Well, finally, um, we know coronaviruses started out in other species before they made the leap over to humans. Carl, are we only in this mess because people still keep eating meat?
1: Um, I, don't, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> it's a hard one, isn't it? Because you want to say <laughs> uh, yes, but you also don't want to sound like you're saying, you know, you, every one of you that eats a bacon sandwich is this. It's all your
0: fault. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's,
1: it's a hard, it's a, there's a lot of grey area in the answer, but I think it's obvious that... You know, like there was an outbreak in Germany in that um, abattoir, like like two weeks ago. There's obviously a massive link between uh, where it's breaking out. And
0: in Wales, it's not even, um, yeah, there's been, yeah, all over the UK. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. And I think it's the cold air in them that causes it to spread further. So the
1: logic suggests that, yeah, you know, we need to sort of maybe look at our behaviours. And when I say our, I mean your, if you're not vegan. (laughs) (laughs) apart from that we're we're good i'm good you know i mean yeah
0: yeah. okay gordon then so if if you've managed to convince a few people that um you know they should try it out what's your top tip for anyone thinking about ditching meat for the plant-based life
1: i mean my biggest tip is just give it a go because it's really not that difficult you know it's really yeah. nowadays it's so easy Like i got a papa john's pizza the other night and that is you know that's a good old-fashioned rubbish pizza <laughs> <laughs> and they do a vegan they do a vegan pepperoni one so it's got to the point now it's not difficult and i think you know i i would always say to somebody give it a month and don't just replace yeah. everything with bread because well, you, you
0: you you've talked about month like so you're an ambassador for veganuary yes. which is where the campaign to get people to go vegan for a month in january right yeah
1: And I think that's a good length of time because that tends to give people enough of a, you know, it's not people that go like, oh, you know, I haven't eaten meat in four days, you know. It's shorter than Lent.
0: People give shit up for
1: Lent, Exactly. So like, you know, give it a go. And normally if you haven't just gone from, imagine if you've got a really healthy, balanced sort of meat eating diet and then you go, I'm going to try vegan for a month and you just eat pasta and bread, (laughs) then you're obviously going to feel worse. But if you go from... If you go from a crap meat-eating diet to a crap vegan diet, I guarantee you'll feel better. <laughs> and, if, and if you go from a middle-of-the-range diet to a middle-of-the-range one or the other, you know, I do think it makes you feel better. In a, in a month, you'll feel benefits.
0: I, as a campaigner, I, I mean, and I, did, I got to veganism via January, but I do think that's a shit month to pick because if we did it in July, you've got all the amazing fruit. You yes. know, berries and strawberries and raspberries just say so amazing at the moment. Whereas in January, they taste awful and they they've do. been flown halfway around but the world. But they also, so,
1: there's a cynical uh, hijacking. Lose weight of, after
0: Christmas. Yeah, but you
1: just always catch people because it is that thing of veganism isn't a diet, it isn't no. a fad. But a lot of people don't realise that, so you've got to trick them into thinking it is at times. <laughs> so I think using Veganuary as a hey, um, you know, it's January the first, and you, you've you've had three hours sleep, and you're hung over to hell. Why not try a healthy month? And like, I think that works. That's one aspect of yeah. uh, veganism you can sometimes sell a bit easier than hey, have you yeah. thought about not killing things? <laughs>
0: And on that note, Carl Donald, thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) (laughs) Have you got any online gigs booked in that listeners could could go Um, to? I have,
1: but I can't remember when they are. I've got one that, uh, there's a club called Outside the Box, which is uh, in real life, it's in Kingston, and they do some other shows around southwest London. And it's like really, it's one of them clubs I've sort of, I've been doing since I started out. I used to host Mm. it a lot, and they've started doing some really amazing online shows with great comics, like Greg Davis has been on it. And um, I'm doing one of theirs in a couple of weeks, So, I mean if you go on Outside the Boxes website, it's probably got an amazing lineup. Harry Hill did the last one. And so yeah, cool. that'll be I'll be doing that mid-July sometime.
0: Oh brilliant. Well, thank you very, very much. And listeners, I hope you enjoyed this show. And don't forget, our next big drunken live show together with Romaniacs is next week, the 9th of July, and there'll be plenty of time for QA. It's only open to Patreon backers, so get us on there to find out more. Goodbye for now and see you very soon. The Bunker Daily was presented by Naomi Smith and produced by Andrew Harrison. Assistant producer is Jacob Archbold and audio production was by me, Robin Lieber. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production.